Father, we come before your holy presence uh, in humility. Lord, we are unworthy in every way, but in faith we have confidence in what Jesus Christ has done for us. The blood that you uh, poured out for us has, has reconciled us, brought us into your presence, and made us sufficient as uh, ministers of the new covenant, God. And we uh, barely have a glimpse of what it means to be restored back into fellowship with you. Uh, our hearts are alive when they were dead. We are found when we were lost. And um, God, we owe all of that to you and your love and coming after us when we were a lost sheep. So we praise you. We give you glory, honor, and, and worship. And God, we pray that you would use your word today to teach us uh, what it's like to serve you and what it looks like to serve you and, and all the questions and all the false uh, ways that we think about serving. I pray that you would correct through the, the wonderful truth of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So our sermon today is, uh, what does it look like to serve God? And uh, today we're going to see no less than seven things that God claims from you. He claims, he, he, he expects to receive from you. Uh, and this we would call serving God. Um, and, and at first, we're, when you look at these seven things that we're going to look at today, they almost seem disconnected or disjointed. Like, why would God ha- have all these different things? But we're going to ask the question today, what do they all have in common? And uh, why are they all in the same section here? Why would God be listing a bunch of ways to serve him? When you, I want you to think of a character, you know what a character artist is? Someone who draws kind of an exaggerated picture of someone. You guys have been to, you know, Casa Bonita, my favorite restaurant. Um, amen. Praise the Lord. No blasphemy in here. <laughs> Dana and I went on our first date at Casa Bonita. <laughs> and we ended up getting married. Praise the Lord. It's holy ground. <laughs> Set your standards low. That's right. What was I talking about? <laughs> yeah, but why? I forget. Oh, characters. So you know they have the character artist there, right? Anyone ever got their character drawn? Anyone have a really good one that's just like terrible? Yeah. Like you're like, I do not look like that, right? Okay. Well, I want us to think for a moment, we're going to be character artists, and I want us to characterize a, uh, a servant of God. When you hear the term servant of God, someone who serves God, I want you to shout out a few things that you think of that may be fair or not, but something that a servant of God is or does. Shout them out. What? Try hard. Try hard. Okay, someone who does a lot. What? Religious. Religious. Okay, servant of God, holy. Okay. Big beard. Big beard. Hey, truth is... Sometimes characters are true. Okay, humble is probably what they should be. Okay, yeah, that's right. Under-rower. What? Under-rower. An under rower. You're, you're talking about a Bible study of what's, what a servant is, right? Okay, so good. Um, what else? A servant of God. Uh, maybe name out some people who you think in, in history, recent history, who have been servants of God or thought themselves to be the servants of God. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Yeah, we look at him, we're like, wow, there's a servant of God. Why? He's, he's told a lot of people about the gospel. Okay. Missionaries, okay. 
All right. Missionaries. All right. Huh? <laughs> Me? <laughs> okay, we're off topic now. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so, so we, got, we got this idea of servants of God. You know, some people shout out Mother Teresa. And that's a, that's a hard one for me. I have a really hard time with that one because I see what she did, the works that she did, and I'm like, wow, she kicked my butt in serving. And then I see her talking about worshiping Mary and, and, and really, really theologically inaccurate statements that I'm like, how can she even be saved? Uh, the, and it really, I have a hard time with that one. Anyone else have a hard time with that one? Maybe you have an opinion strong one way or the other. I'm like, I kind of don't know. I don't understand, but... Wow. Um, A servant of God. We have a character in our mind of a servant of God, someone who is doing stuff for God. But I want us to look at Scripture today and maybe think of a servant of God in a different way. And I want want you to to think of yourself that you could be a servant of God. And and I know that you, you think you are. I know that you guys are mature in the Lord and you know that you're serving the Lord. But sometimes I think you may, we may be tricked into thinking that we have to go be missionaries to, to be serving God. Or we have to go um, be Billy Graham in our city. There's, no, there's only one Billy Graham, right? But we think that's the standard for what serving God looks like. Or we need to be a martyr. Like, if, unless we go, then, then God, you know, it doesn't really matter my life because I'm just, you know, a house mom. What, what is housewife? House mom? Housewife. House help. What? House help? <laughs> we don't watch Harry Potter here. I, you didn't say Harry Potter. I don't know how I knew that. <laughs> okay. Wow. Off topic. Okay. All the things we're going to look at today, these seven things, they're going to show us what, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to connect them all through the idea of this is what it looks like to serve God. And if we refresh back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, God said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you, that you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. And they are at that mountain right now. And God says, you are going to serve me there. I want you to serve me. You need to serve me. So the claims of God or the plans of God show what it looks like to serve God right here. He's saying, I expect these things. I claim these things in your life for me. I expect you to serve me in these ways that we're going to talk about today. Remember, all of uh, the people's sin has been dealt with by grace at this time in their history. We've, we've talked about them being brought out, brought out of Egypt, and then they fall again, and Moses intercedes, and, and God has just been forgiving them. They've been adopted and married into the family of God by grace. And so now God is, uh, he moves into the life that he expects his children to live, or his spouse to live. He doesn't just leave them like, what do I do now? He says, this is what I want your life to look like um, for me, what it looks like to serve and to honor God. I know many, many Christians who, who honestly want to serve God, but they fail really hard. Uh, I know many of us in here, we've, we have a heart that is, that is just on fire. I want to do God's will. But if we look at our daily experience and our daily example, it's not measuring up to that. We're like, what is going on here? Maybe we need to adjust some things. So let's look at what we are. Serving God doesn't save you. You guys know that, right? 
It doesn't improve your standing in God's eyes. It doesn't. But it does honor God by reproducing his image in this world. When you decide, okay, God has bought me and forgiven me and and loved me and I received the gospel, there's nothing you can become better than that. There's nothing you can do that's, that would improve that standing. That is literally the best a human being can attain. Because you have Christ's righteousness given to you. There's nothing better. But serving him is an opportunity to reproduce his image in this world. How amazing. How loving God is. How beautiful God is. We get to reproduce that. We get to show other people by our lives how wonderful, amazing, loving, and beautiful God is. When we serve him, we get to participate in his plan to save this world and restore it back into fellowship with God. So why should I serve God? Good question. That's a great question to start with today. Uh, you know, If it doesn't matter to you that to serve God and you don't really want to serve God, then this sermon has nothing to do with you. But he loves you. That is our one motivation for serving God. It can never be to get a higher standing, a, a better view in his, in, like to impress him. That can't be it. It is because he loved you, he saved you with the blood of his son, Jesus, and he has been so loving and gracious to you, and all your sin and rebellion has been washed away. So God asks that we spread the, that message of grace and mercy in this world, to go out into the world, to call them to come in, and to tell everyone we can find about the hope that is found only in Jesus. And of course, I'm referencing the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's the mission, right? That's the mission. Serving God is connected with that mission. We're taking his message to the people. I want to read 2 Corinthians 5.20 right now. It says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's our job title, ambassadors. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then there's a little part that got taken out of scripture right here that says, use picket signs to do this. No, it doesn't say that? Oh, that was a lie, right? Picket signs are not how we're supposed to plead with people. How are we supposed to plead with people? Loving them, serving them, right? Our life of love for them. He says, we are, we are imploring you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Remember, that was our motivation for serving God. That's our motivation, and that's our message. That's why we're serving people. That's what we're serving people with. Think of a waiter bringing a, a plate to someone and saying, here's your plate. God loves you so much that Christ died for you. That's what I have to serve you. That's what you get to feast upon. But what if we don't serve God? I'm going to read a parable to you from Luke chapter 19. 
Jesus said, Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and return. This is going to be Jesus. So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas, which is just a word for a, a bit of money. And he said to them, Do business till I come, or serve. Serve. You're, you're, you need to serve. Don't be lazy. Serve. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. Or my translation, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Oh, I'm a Christian and I go to church, but I decide what I do with my time, my money, and my resources. I am an American and nobody will tell me what to do. It says so on my belt buckle. You're not the boss of me is the way not to serve. <laughs> I am in charge of my life. I'm in ch- I get to decide. No, you don't. What, what gives you the right to say you get to decide? Well, I'm an American. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Servant, see the word servant? Because you were faithful in very little, have, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said, You also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put money, my money in the bank that at my, at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10 minas, but... They said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Wow. Jesus is pretty intense about serving him. He is the king that went away, and he says to you and to me and all of his disciples, do business until I come, which equals serve God. So we better be serving God. I don't want to be the guys that that are so embarrassed. If you don't want God to rule over you, you're not the boss of me. It says here there's a major problem in your heart that your heart hasn't really even been regenerated. That you're not a believer, it says. We come under his leadership and lordship when we believe in him. Also, look at what the wicked servant thinks. He thinks God is not working. What did he say? Psh, you reap where you do not sow. You're not doing anything, God. You want me to do all your work. He thought it was all up to himself. 
That's not what serving is. God doesn't need you to save this city. God doesn't need you to be a missionary. God doesn't need you to be Billy Graham. God needs, God loves you. And he wants to partner with you. And there's no imagining what God could do with you, but it's not like you are responsible to do this on your own or to imagine what you should become. God is the one who does the work. And it says the wicked servant says God's not working. He thought it was all up to himself. He refused to trust in God's power and help. He says, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to step out in faith. I'm not going to ask you for anything. I'm going to bury it in a handkerchief. It's my ticket to heaven, and that's it, and I'm not going to lose it. And this man does not understand grace. So his life is dead. His life is pointless. His life is fruitless. So serving God does not earn salvation, but it's the normal result of being saved by grace and being empowered by grace. Serving God is what a Christian should look like. It's what their life should look like. So what does serving God look like, and how do I serve God? Well, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to list for you the seven things that we're going to look like today, or we're going to see today that, it, that describe it for us. Number one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Number two is the redemption of the firstborn. Number three is the Sabbath. Number four is the Feast of Weeks. Number five is the Feast of Harvest or Ingathering. Number six is correct sacrifices. And number seven is the first fruits of the land being offered to God. And you're saying, that makes no difference to me. I don't understand all those things. We're going to get into that. We're going to see just real quickly how each of those things shows us what serving really looks like. I know it doesn't mean much now, but let's dive in and see how we can understand how to serve God. Now, as I begin to serve God, my thought is always, what should I do to add to what Jesus has done to make this world a better place. That's usually how my brain goes. Oh, God has a job for me. Great. I Let me do it. Let me do it. What does God need me to do? The answer isn't the thing that I'm thinking. The answer isn't the task. Maybe there's a list of good deeds that I should be expected to do. Well, what we're going to see today is not a list of good deeds. Let's see what it is. Chapter 34, verse 17. You shall make no molded gods for yourself. That was kind of catching up and connecting it to last week. Uh, Then he says here, The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. So the first service that God expects his people to do, to offer him, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which uh, is amazing. Because this is a celebration. And he says, I want you to start by celebrating. I want you to start by remembering what happened at the Feast of Unleavened Bread and celebrating it. Having a feast, which is a party. He says, and, and it, so it takes us back to, the, to what happened, what the Feast of Unleavened Bread celebrates, which was Passover. And that's not just about forgiving us and setting us free. He says the, the whole Passover 
wasn't just about setting you free from Egypt, but it was about drawing you in so you can celebrate with me every year or living a life that draws near to God in happy communion and joy. That's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is about, a life that continually celebrates what Jesus did as the lamb who was slain for our sins. Being happy about that. Are you happy about that? When you feel the dryness of sadness and self-condemnation start to creep in like a sponge just drying out, do you go back to the well of redemption, to the well of what Jesus did for you to find your happiness again? Or do you search out other things for happiness? Jesus says, celebrate the feast of, of uh, tabernacles, unleavened bread. Remember what I did for you. So this first lesson about serving God is that relationship with God must come first. The greatest way you can Serve God, remember we're supposed to serve God, is by celebrating a feast in his honor, in his presence. God is not looking for more workers. He's looking for party goers who will party in his honor, who will rejoice for him. And that is the number one way God gives us that we can serve him. Don't be one of those Christians that's like, oh, Let's go to church. I got to read my Bible. I've been redeemed. Praise the Lord. God says, thanks for serving me. You are lame. I love you. But you do not celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. This feast obviously reminds us, like I said, of Passover, where the sacrifice of the blood of the lamb was given. And it was made with unleavened bread, which symbolizes sinlessness or purity. And this is uh, what we get to experience when we eat and trust in the blood of the lamb. When we apply that blood of the true lamb to our lives, we get to experience the sinless purity of that blood. So, oh, my life is not sinless. You know what you need to do? Go back and have the feast of Passover. Go back and have the feast of the unleavened bread where his blood, you apply the blood and then you eat it, which means you apply it to your life. Now your life is pure, but you don't know what I just did. No, you don't know the power of the blood, but you don't understand how, how sinful I am. I don't care because the blood works, doesn't it? And that is something that we smile about. We rejoice in, and it is all, and that is the most appealing thing about any Christian to this world. You're a Christian that actually is happy about what Jesus did for you, and you can't stop talking about it, and it is the thing that brings joy in your life. We celebrate that Passover. Every day should be a celebration of what God has provided for us, giving thanks every morning, amazed by his grace and mercy. So to summarize, step one in serving God is remember and celebrate Jesus every day. Is that so hard? Is that even, I don't know, a thing that you do? 
it's, it's like a, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. And I think that's the, the common thing that we're going to see is serving God is all about the heart. You can do whatever you want. If you're doing it with the joy of the Lord, it is going to, I mean, not like smoking weed, and that's not, that doesn't, those don't go together. But anyway. So rejecting and forgetting all the sin of our old man, the man that's dead on the cross, and instead celebrating the new life of Jesus Christ given to us. That's the number one way to serve God. So you're thinking, I'm going to go be a missionary. What am I going to do? You're going to celebrate Jesus every day. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a mom. I'm going to be a worker at my job. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be an architect. What's my real job to celebrate Jesus? All right, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Paul in that verse just does an amazing job of connecting the feast of unleavened bread with you. He says, you become the unleavened. You become unleavened when you believe in his Passover life sacrificed for us. When you take it, when you eat it, by faith consuming it and making it your heartbeat, that's what I, I trust in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. He says, you become the unleavened lump. All right, number two, the second thing God says, is all that open the womb are mine. Every male firstborn among your flock, whether ox or sheep, But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. For all the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. So we read this at first, and we're like, what is he talking about? Because this just makes no sense in our cultural context, okay? But the second service that God expects of your life is, is the life of the firstborn. Whoa, does that mean we're supposed to sacrifice our kids for him or, or an animal in exchange for our kids? This is wild. What it means is that you should have no hope or trust in anything before God. Because you've got to understand the culture. When you, your firstborn was your hope for future. He was the one who you poured everything into. He was the one that all of your work and all of your life would be transferred to when you died. It was called an inheritance. And that was your hope. And you did everything to protect the firstborn, to, uh, to, to enrich in the, the firstborn. You put your hope and your trust in that. And so the firstborn symbolizes the hope of the family or the promise of future. The strength of a family was in their firstborn. Okay? So God here demands all the firstborn of everything. If you have a cat, firstborn cat is his. Meaning, all things that we could possibly hope in, God demands you, you stop. You give it to him. You are not allowed to hope in anything except him. That's what he's saying here. And that would have come across really clear to those people. My firstborn is my whole life. What are you talking about? And God's like, yeah, you're firstborn. But not only that, I'm taking the firstborn of your cattle. 
and the firstborn of even your donkeys. Everything, it is mine. Nothing you have is yours, guys. That's what God... Step number two, or the second thing God says that we can serve him in is by saying nothing you own is yours. Nothing you hope in before God. We are just stewards of the things that God has trusted us with. God has given you your cattle, your resources. Translate that in your brain, dollar signs, your money. God has given that to you. And God gave you your children. And in that, you can translate also all your relationships. So all your money, all your relationships. God gets to decide what is done with all of your life. And that is the, a, an amazing way to serve God. You can't hold anything back from his control or think that it will benefit you in any way by holding something back from his control. Will you ever save your kids by your super controlling guidance? No. Will you ever save your parents by demanding things or not? No. Salvation is always from God. And he will save them in spite of you, not because of you. (laughs) And this is the glad surrender of faith. Saying, I am a horrible parent, like my parents before me. But God, I pray in faith, I pray that you would do a supernatural thing and save my kids, because I cannot. God hears those prayers. God answers those prayers. So the second way that we can serve God, that God expects us to serve him, is by surrendering control of all things. This is super scary because we love control. And being out of control, not being in control, is very stress-inducing to many of us, right? How many of you love the day you get fired? (laughs) Well, you are weird, so... To be out of control is only fun for a child. And I think we have something to learn from that. A child loves to be like, hey, dad, catch me. (laughs) And they don't wait for the okay. They don't wait for I'm ready. They just jump, right? Elliot is who I think of with that. (laughs) He is a child of faith. He is an example for us all, right? of how to live by faith and how to surrender control. He doesn't think he's in control. He thinks he's in control, but he's going to tell you what he thinks you ought to do. (laughs) Side note, really awesome thing in this verse. It said a donkey, uh, the firstborn of the donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb and you shall not redeem him. If you will not redeem him, you shall break his neck. This is totally awesome uh, because the commentaries I read are like old, right? And they don't use the word donkey, They use the other word. And (laughs) I just had a hoot of a time reading the commentaries this week and reading them to my wife, uh, and we were just laughing. I even sent some to you, Ben. Did you get those? Let me down, bro. I thought you were were there. I thought you understood what I was saying. Ready? You know what I'm talking about. Okay. Yes. Anyway, the reason that's funny is, uh, okay, so he says, if you have a donkey, 
You have to redeem them with the lamb. And he brings up the lamb again, which automatically takes us back to Passover. So God is clearly associating the, his people, his children, with donkeys. He's calling them donkeys. He's saying, you guys are donkeys, and you need to be redeemed. And it's for the purpose of humbling and keeping his people humble. Um, saying that, that if a donkey is not redeemed, it's going to die. You're going to have to break its neck. Now, what do we know about the character of donkeys, which is God's opinion of us? Okay, uh, We're stubborn. They're stubborn, I should say. Donkeys are stubborn. Uh, it's, it's a natural rebellion. It's built into them. They always turn their own way. They are not willing to submit unless they are beat, 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 right? I don't know. How many, who, anyone have experience with a donkey? Okay, so we're just imagining what we've seen on TV. Okay, donkeys are stubborn. Uh, So they're not willing to submit. Number two, they're unclean animals, right? Which means they're not worthy. They're not worthy in in that uh, culture. Number three, they were senseless. They were stupid. They had no spiritual intelligence as the application for us. Stubborn, not worthy, and spiritually unintelligent That's what God just called us. And it's awesome. Because he provides a lamb even for a donkey. Wow. His heart just comes through so clearly for us. Oh, the God of the Old Testament is such a meanie. I don't think you're reading the same thing that I am, right? The fact that God provides redemption for a stupid animal like a donkey is something that should produce major thanksgiving in my life because I am a huge donkey. By the way, what do you call a donkey with one leg? A wonky donkey. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) All right, third one, okay? Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. So the third way that you can serve God is to rest, Oh my goodness. Okay, so the first day is the first way is to celebrate Jesus. The second way is to surrender control. That's super hard, right? And then the third way is to rest. You are serving God by resting in his faithfulness. <laughs> Literally, that's amazing. You might think that getting things done for God is more important. Like the verse says, it's pl- time for plowing, it's time for harvest. That's what the verse says. And God says, stop. Resting is more important than time for plowing and harvest. But God says it's more important to stop working repeatedly and specifically trust in his finished work. So the third way we can trust in God is to never forget to focus on resting in the completed work of Jesus. Our next text, it says, And you shall observe the feast of weeks, and of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year you shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord, your God, three times a year. So this next way to keep, um, to, to serve God is to keep relationship with God the first priority. Keep relationship with God the first priority. And I wrote down here, go to church. <laughs> um, 
God simply works in our lives through church. He promises to do it. He says, when you gather, he was telling all the people, gather before me. Many times a year, gather. He gives these three different feasts and festivals that they should keep. And, but I don't want to go to church. Well, then you're simply going to miss out on all that God wants to bless you with and challenge you in. This is his body, and there is healing and strength to be found in his body as his body heals itself and ministers to itself in love. So gathering together is a way that we can serve God. Isn't that crazy? I want to be a servant of God. Okay, go to church. When you get to church, get involved. Like stay, go early, stay late. Be there. I want to pray for a friend who's calling me right now. Would you guys pray with me? I just have a friend calling me right now. He's going through a rough time, and he doesn't know I'm preaching right now. And uh, I'd like to pray for this guy. Okay, will you pray with me? Father, uh, I just pray uh, for my friend, and I ask God that you would pour your grace and love on him. And God, that you would remind him of your blood and the, um, the mercy that you would have on him. Jesus, he needs you so much. And we pray that he would, uh, he would receive your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Appreciate that. So, going to church. Going to church is about God, not about you. Uh, it's not about the people you might like or not like. We were not created to live in isolated isolation. We need each other. So, connect with each other. That's what these feasts. There's so much more we could get into, but I chose the, the part about them gathering together. He says here, You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor, the, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. These two things teach us about staying pure. So the next thing we can do to serve God is to stay pure. Leaven is a symbol of sin, and so we are to stay away from sin, and this honors God, this is serving God. Tell me, can you do this? The you, well, through his power, through his grace, you can do this. You can be a servant of God. All of these things are things you can do. Because they're not things, they're really heart things. It's attitudes of the heart. It's a servant of God cannot also serve sin. Just remember that. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of your Lord. The seventh way to serve God is by giving thanks. Giving thanks. Can you do that? Well, I don't like to. Yeah, giving thanks. For all the fruit that God gives, all the victory that God gives, remember that your life is all for his kingdom, not yours. So giving thanks is a huge way we can serve God. So to review, we had the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Redemption of the Firstborn, the Sabbath, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest and Ingathering, correct or holy or pure sacrifices, and the first fruits of the land. So to review what our lesson was in each one, the first thing we can do is to remember and celebrate Jesus in his new life. Second thing was to surrender control of all things, hoping only in God and trusting in his direction and faithfulness. The third thing we can do to serve God today is never forget 
on uh, the resting in the completed work of Jesus. Then the, the, the feast, we saw keep relationship with God, the first priority. Then staying pure, the sixth thing, staying pure. And then the seventh way is giving thanks. Seven ways that we can serve God. What do you notice about all of these things? Remember, I'm going to pull out one word of each of our, our definitions. Remember, surrender, rest, relationship, purity, and giving thanks. Remember, surrender, rest, relationship, purity, and giving thanks. Serving God is not about being a missionary or pastor or soup kitchen worker or mother or father or a husband or a child. But in all those things, we can serve God. We may serve God because serving God always has to do with the heart. The heart is what remembers. The heart is what surrenders. The heart is what rests in God. The heart is what, where relationship is found. The heart is where purity is sourced. And the heart is what gives thanks, right? Gives thanks. Through Jesus living in our hearts and ministering to our hearts, we can serve God. That's what it looks like. Through Jesus is the only way to serve God. So, we remember Jesus in our heart. I'm going, to re- I'm going to rephrase each of these things that he's given us. Remember, we're going to remember Jesus in our heart. We're going to surrender to Jesus in our heart. We're going to rest in Jesus in our heart. We're going to have relationship with Jesus in our heart. We're going to have purity with Jesus in our heart. And we're going to give thanks to Jesus in our heart. We have come full circle. And instead of serving God being about us, who is it about now? Jesus, right. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or I can do a lot of things by trying hard. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or I can really actually fail at doing all the things I try to do. It's never about accomplishing tasks First, guys, it's always about Jesus. When it ceases to be about Jesus, the task ceases to matter. When we are like, when this church becomes a task that we need to do, that we need to get through, then it has ceased to matter. And I hope you all leave. And if it has become that right now, you are free to take a break. Because what it has to be is it has to be about Jesus. It has to be about Jesus. It's never about the task. Hey, let's come in and do marriage counseling. What's the task? Fixing the marriage. Well, that might not happen. It can't be about the task. Hey, we did it for 30 minutes, so you should be 30 minutes better. See ya. That doesn't work. We need Jesus. 
We need Jesus. And if we don't have Jesus, nothing matters. There's a missionary, but he's not really about Jesus. Then that sucks. Like, what is, what is the point of him being there? It's got to be about Jesus. For example, you can give money to good causes. You can give your body to be burned. But if it's not with love, what does the Bible say? It's worthless. Good works are never good unless they're sourced from the fountain of God's love for you, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, but he gives so much to the poor. She gives her life. Great. But they don't accept Jesus' love, so it's not sourced from that love. So those works are counted as pointless. That's why, man, if there's a if, if there's a like homeless shelter and they're like, we're doing good for the community. Great. I'm, you know, good for you. But if it's not done through Jesus Christ, there is it is not eternally working or valuable. Serving God is not a mystery. It's not a job. It's an abiding relationship with Jesus, receiving his love and responding in humility and faith in all the ways he just taught us. Remembering him, surrendering to him, resting in him, having relationship with him, purity with him, and giving thanks to him. That is what it looks like to serve God. So ask yourself this last question, do I serve God in my life? I'm not asking if you give money. I'm not asking if you give your body to be burned. I'm not asking what you do. We're asking, the Bible's asking, how you do. How, how are you connecting with Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you remembering Jesus? Are you resting in Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, purity with Jesus, giving thanks to Jesus? There is nothing else we gather for. Just, just Jesus, right? Okay, that is our study today. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to worship the Lord. And guess what worship is? Worship combines all of the elements we just talked about, surrender and, and trusting and remembering. And worship combines all those things. So this is where you guys, as you've been doing by listening, you guys can serve God right now from the heart. Or you can fake it, and it won't matter ever. Do you guys want to serve God right now? Then we have a few minutes right now to just put on the waiter's outfit and serve God, letting our life be full. So let's all stand up. Waiters don't sit. Servants don't sit. They stand. And let's uh, worship the Lord.